All right. Well, we started the book of Ruth a couple weeks ago, covered chapter one, and uh, we're going to jump into chapter two today. We're going to get through chapter two. Um, But let me briefly remind you what happened in chapter one a couple weeks ago. So it it is the time of the judges. It is a dark and evil time in Israel's history. The, the rulers of Israel are wicked and godless and forsake God and turn to idols. They lead the people to be wicked. On top of that, we, we learned that there was a famine in the land. This is probably due to par- probably part of God's judgment on the people for their wickedness. He said one of the things that he would bring about would be a famine. And because of this famine, a man named, uh, uh, an Israelite named Elimelech, along with his wife Naomi and their two sons, leave the land of Israel to go to a neighboring land of the people of Moab, who are the traditional enemies of Israel. While there, Elimelech dies. His two sons marry a couple Moabite women, take them as their wives, and then the two sons die. And all of this happens in the first four verses of of Ruth, uh, with no real elaboration or explanation, it's just... This happens, and this is just the setting for what is to come. And so Naomi is in a foreign land without her husband and without her sons. And she hears that God had visited her people, his people, and given them food. Um, That's what she says. God had visited his people and given them food. This is a reminder of God's providence, that the, the ceasing of a famine and the bringing of food isn't simply due to atmospheric conditions and, and the laws of nature or even human decisions, that ultimately God does these things. Nothing is random. And so Naomi decides to go back to her land, and after urging her, to, her two daughter-in-laws to stay with their people in Moab, uh, one of them, Ruth, insists on staying with Naomi. And she says, quote, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Now, while this is a touching moment in the story, this is an honorable commitment that Ruth makes, don't overlook how tragic this situation is. Naomi has lost everything. She says, I went away full, I came back empty. The Lord, actually, she says, the Lord has brought me back empty. And so that's how chapter 1 ends, and then, We get into chapter 2, and the camera, if you will, zooms in on Ruth here. So starting at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So we considered a bit how Naomi would have felt coming back to her land. She went away full, came back empty. But we also need to put ourselves in the shoes, if you will, or feel something of how Ruth would have felt, the situation that Ruth is in. First of all, first of all, she's a widow. She has no family other than her mother-in-law. Her husband died. She, she knows no one here. She has no stability or support here. Secondly, she's a foreigner. 
Uh, and she'll say that in, in verse 10, as we'll get to. I am a foreigner. Now, perhaps it's a little bit hard for us to grasp this today, living in a country that prides itself on being multi-ethnic, full of many peoples. And probably most of your families and my family have, have been here for a while. We don't necessarily feel like foreigners. But for much of history, and still in many places today, you were identified primarily by your people group, your tribe. You might interact with and mingle with other tribes from time to time, but you were never a part of that tribe. You, you saw yourself, you understood yourself, and you saw other people by their, their tribe, their people group. Uh, we are reminded in this text again and again that this is Ruth the Moabite. It keeps saying that, like, She's, she's that person. She's of those people, those people who have been reason for great trouble among our people. Now, God had commanded the Israelites to treat foreigners incredibly well. If any foreigner wanted to commit themselves to the Lord, the God who had revealed himself to the Israelites, they could become what was called a sojourner and have many of the same rights and privileges as Israel. But even though that there, there was this provision, there was certainly no guarantee that the people would obey these laws and actually treat people with this kindness, especially in the time of the judges. People weren't so great about obeying God's commands. So Ruth knows that she's a foreigner, and as, she, as we'll see, she has no expectations that people are going to treat her well, that she'll rec be received kindly among this people. So she's widowed, she's a foreigner. Third, she is extremely poor. We see that she needs to glean to get food. Uh, to glean means to go out to the fields, to the crops, and just gather up whatever was left after the harvesters had come through, the leftovers. You, you might think of those who dig through trash today, hoping to find something that nobody wants. Now, this is another area where God had built in provisions for people for both sojourners and for the poor. God commanded the people in, in Leviticus 9, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So to be a foreigner, to be a poor person among God's people had some protections, had some provisions. God gave his people laws that looked out for others, that were good and compassionate and, and just and wise laws, because that's who God is. But still, nobody wants to be in this situation. Ruth is in a, a lowly, a tragic, a needy situation. She has to depend not only on these laws, but also on hoping that people will actually obey these laws. People will actually be compassionate and treat her well. And we see that she accepts this. She accepts her position. She knows her dependence on the grace and favor of others. She immediately goes out into the fields, said, I'll, I'll go glean to, to, to get some food for us. Continuing on, verse 3. So she set out, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. 
And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now, she, she happened to come here. This, this literally reads, her chance chanced. Like, this is, she just happened to come here to this field. She happened to come to the field owned by Boaz, and then behold, or it could read, lo and behold, you know, in the Old English, lo and behold, Boaz just happens to be there. Now, because of verse 1 and how the author has written this, we already know who Boaz is. But Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is. Ruth is not out looking for the field with the sign that says Boaz's field. She doesn't know who Boaz is. This is a seemingly random occurrence. And I say seemingly because, of course, it's not random at all. God is leading her. As we said last week, God is providentially ruling over, bringing about all things, both small and great. Even this small, seemingly insignificant decision about which field to go to was being ordained by God for a specific purpose. Yes, Ruth decided to go to this field, to go this way, but above and beyond and before that, God was leading her. We see this in story form here in Ruth, but the other places in the Bible make this clear, make this truth clear. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. Similarly, Proverbs 21, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. God, he turns it wherever he will. And so yours and mine daily, seemingly insignificant decisions and actions are being ordained or led along by God for his good purposes. Now, we are still responsible for our decisions, right or wrong, good or bad. There are consequences we have to deal with for our decisions. But there is comfort in knowing that the outcome of our life, the coming together of all of the seemingly random bits and pieces and happenings and decisions of our life into a whole for a specific purpose are not ultimately on our shoulders. That the weight of the world, the outcome of our life is not ultimately on our shoulders. God is working out his purposes. Even through your small daily decisions, even through the random things that happen to you, both good and bad, even through your sin and the sin of others against you. Again, our series title for, for this, this sermon series comes from Romans 8. For those that love God, all things work together for good. And they don't just happen to work together for good. This is not just fate. This is God working all things together for good for his people, for those who love him. And we will see, and if you were to turn to the end of Ruth, we will see that Ruth's decision to come to this field and the fact that Boaz is there at this time, spoiler alert, will ultimately lead to Ruth marrying Boaz and together them having a son who, through whom will come God's chosen king, King David, just a few generations later, but ultimately through whom will come God's promised Messiah and Savior, Jesus. That is God's plan that cannot be frustrated. That is what God is doing through this happen to come to this field. 
Furthermore, just as Ruth's life was part of a bigger story that God was telling, so is your life. And you are not the storyteller. You don't get to choose which part you play. You don't just get to choose how the story goes. That's not your right or in your power. And Ruth's story, in God's design, points forward to and helps prepare the way for Jesus. That's what this is about. Likewise, the story of your life is meant to display and make much of and point towards Jesus. In other words, when you're thinking about providence, God's providential ordering of the events of your life isn't just to give you your best life now or to do exactly what you think he ought to do in your life. You already know that that's not how God works. It's not just to give you every bit of comfort and rest and happiness now. Yes, he has your good and your joy in mind, much more so than you, in fact. But ultimately, he is providentially ordering the events of your life in order to make you someone who makes much of him who sees him to be glorious and great and finds joy in him and is satisfied in him. That's what God is doing. And so you can trust in him. You can rest in him. You can hope in him. Even when you don't see and understand all that God is doing. Especially when. The story continues. We're actually going to read the rest of this chapter here. It's a longer section, and then we'll, we'll work through it. And behold, so end of chapter, verse 4, which we already read the first part of. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early until now, early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it 
for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had, gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my, by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Again, remember the situation that Ruth is in. She is a foreigner with no expectation of being treated kindly among this people. But Boaz demonstrates that that's not how God's people are to see and treat people. According to their tribe or ethnicity or history. Because that's not how God sees or treats people. Boaz doesn't just do the minimum required by the law of him. He goes well beyond the provisions of the law of gleaning and other laws. He, he has Ruth glean among the still standing sheaves and even among the already harvested stuff. Basically, he tells her wor his workers just to let her take from what is already harvested. He protects her, telling him to stay close to his women, telling his men to not touch her. He offers his her food and drink. We're told that she ate until she was satisfied. She had, and she had some left over. As verse 1 tells us, he is a worthy man. Now, I said last week, that, or two weeks ago, that this story is not ultimately about Ruth or Boaz. It's not simply a plea to just be like these people, and everything will be well. But Boaz does give us a compelling picture of the character of God. As he not only follows the letter of the law, but goes further and demonstrates unexpected, undeserved compassion and welcome and mercy towards a foreigner, an outsider. We see something of God's heart for us in this. In other words, before we can see ourselves in Boaz and say, well, we should be more like that, we have to see ourselves in Ruth and say we are like that, in need of God's mercy. You see, we are all like Ruth, with no power, no rights, nothing to our name. We were outside of God's people. We were not a part of God's people. We were on the outside looking in due to our sin. We were and are desperately dependent on the merciful favor and initiative of another. We are desperately needy if we see ourselves truly. Do you understand 
that the times in your life when you most clearly see your need, when you feel utterly lost and helpless, unable to control your life, take care of things, direct your life as you want, are actually the times when you see yourself most clearly. God, in his providence, has made us dependent on him and what only he can give. And it is a, it is a gracious thing when we see that. It doesn't mean it's a fun thing, but it is a gracious thing when we feel and see, recognize our need. And yet, like Ruth, we have heard stories of the kindness of Yahweh, this God who had revealed himself first to the Israelites. And like Ruth, we wonder, what would it be like to come to this God, to come under his wings? What would it be like to live among his people? How would God and his people receive us if we, if we joined ourselves to them? Would we be cared for? This is a question we must, and we do, ask ourselves again and again. Even if we've long since come to him in faith, we, we sin and we stray and we suffer and we continue to wonder, how will God receive me? How will his people receive me? Can I return and be welcomed? I've, I've heard that he is a gracious God. Is it true? And what we find, and what Ruth finds, is that to this God... Yahweh, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how well your life has gone or not, what your family line is, how rich or poor, able or not you are. God calls and invites you to come to him for life again and again. And he welcomes all who would come. I mean, Jesus says it plainly. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The only requirement for you to be received by God is that you come to him and that you come through Christ. That is, you come with faith in Christ's death and resurrection for your sins in place of the judgment you deserved. Faith that Christ is your only hope and salvation. You lay hold of him by faith. You confess your insufficiency and inability to be what you ought to be, to have peace with God, to attain righteousness on your own. You confess your sin and fully give yourself to God's provision in Christ of righteousness. Remember, the only hero in the Bible is Jesus. As much as Boaz is kind and gracious and honorable, as much as he is welcoming of a foreigner, Jesus is much more so. He doesn't merely give us what the law requires, treat us as we deserve. He showers us with mercy and compassion and good things. If you look at the words that Boaz uses to invite Ruth 
He says, come and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some, lef some left over. They bring to mind some words of God to his people in Isaiah 55. Where God says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters and he who has no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast sure love for David. Likewise, Jesus invites us, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You and I have no money or means, no, no power to move God's hand and secure his blessing, no goodness or decency or right-mindedness to satisfy his perfect commitment to justice. We are like Ruth, and yet like Ruth, that is exactly the kind of person that God desires. He loves to give freely choice, sustenance, rich provision, true rest, and no cost. That's the only way God works. He only works by mercy. And this is a promise, whether you have yet to come to God or have belonged to him for years. This is a promise that all of us can cling to again and again and again. Incline your ear and come. Hear that your soul may live. He gives us himself. And having found him, we are, we can be satisfied. So this is the, the first and foremost application here. And yet there's another application as we think about this corporately as a church community. Just as Ruth experienced the kindness, and, and Naomi experienced the kindness of God through Boaz, as Boaz was obedient to God and his laws and became the tangible expression of God's kindness, so others are to experience the kindness of God through us. Is Ruth's and Naomi's experience of coming among the people of God, as especially from Ruth's perspective, as an outsider, as a foreigner, is her experience of being welcomed and received something of what others would experience among us? Are outsiders and foreigners and outcasts and the poor and needy noticed and welcomed and cared for when they encounter the church? You see, part of the reason that God chose and worked among the Israelites in a unique way was so that as they lived out their obedience to God's laws, they would give witness to the wisdom and goodness of God among them. It, it didn't always work out so well. They didn't obey those laws, but that was the purpose. So when outsiders came among them and saw the way that they lived and treated one another, even laws like the gleaning laws, they would find a compelling picture of a good and gracious God. 
so too, the way we live among one another as a church, in response to his love, in obedience to his commands, the way we love one another patiently and graciously and humbly and generously is meant to give witness to God. Um, I mean, Jesus said this clearly. They will, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One another is referring to those in the church. Certainly, we're called to love those outside the church as well, but the witness that Jesus is speaking about is the way that God's people love one another. God has chosen us and worked among us in unique and powerful ways, in part so that we would give a compelling witness of who God is. This is not, this is not about you going out and individually being a witness for God. There's a place for that. Do that as well. But what Jesus is talking about and what this is about is the combined corporate witness of the church coming together and interacting with one another. There is a witness to God that, and to the gospel that you cannot give on your own, that you have to be in committed life-on-life community to demonstrate. As we, as a people, as God's people, as we as people see the way that we love one another, as they hear our stories of, of grace, of the mercy of God, as, as they take steps to draw near to God and to experience life among his people, like Ruth, as they walk in the doors of the church or the doors of our homes, may the kindness and welcome of God be demonstrated through us. If this is how God welcomes people, if God welcomes all who would come, and he does. He turns no one away. May we demonstrate the same. We have this awesome opportunity to proclaim and demonstrate with our words and with our actions and the way we live God's compassion and his worth and his goodness to those around us. And the combined witness of our words and actions both Both matter. Let's pray.